Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on February the 15th, 2015. Now I hope those who live in cold climates like I do are surviving because it's it's really been amazing as always. Every winter is getting worse and worse and the summers of course you, you hardly see at all. Apparently all due to global warming, so they say. But now it's climate change. Meaning, well, you can go one way or the other, etc., etc., as they push through this big uh, live and breathe and pay up for your carbon taxes and your energy taxes. Last night here, here where I am in Ontario, northern Ontario, uh, the temperatures were down last night at 30, minus 32 uh, on the Fahrenheit scale. It's about minus 37 or so on the... Or, th- or 35 on the centigrade around that, that area. And uh, that was a real temperature, not wind factor or anything else. So you can imagine what it's like at times at night here because um, you've got to really constantly watch your... That's why I, I have uh, thermometers, in fact, to watch the temperatures. My own, my own ones, old-fashioned ones, the ones you, that don't uh, uh, require uh, batteries and so on. And most folk today, mind you, are easily fooled because... They'll disregard their own senses, and, and my goodness, it feels chilly, but the weather service said it'll only be, oh, minus 10 tonight. And th- this is how it's, it's so easy, isn't it, when people take everything for granted. After all, why would, would folk lie to you? Why would they lie to you? And you know, the reason is, really, is that children are punished for lying to their parents or to other people or teachers, you see. It's an ultimate no-no. And yet here's the adults with all their big political groups and social economic groups and all the different scientists on board uh, with the climate change agenda because it's a big social agenda, completely involved in politics, etc., taking incredible paychecks to say the right things. Nothing to do with science because science it should be factual. But, you know, in this day and age, there's no science out there. There's just, just pure facts, you know, pretty well. But we're getting lied to, lied to, lied to about, um, about uh, well, it, it's, the climate's warming up. But it really isn't happening, as you well know. What's so interesting to me is that, as I say, we accept it because we're folk get the media from the electronic media and they get it uh, from all the sources that manage your minds. And again, why would they lie to you? Why would they? The average person really lives in a, a reality that's been given to them from birth and updated as they grow older through, again, the regular media. And they never question things. They think somehow that reporters, for instance, are some sort of uh, robots, a team of robots that have no personal view on anything whatsoever, uh, which is so far from the truth is just incredible. Uh, the, the slants you'll see on most stories out there. Everything's done for a purpose, especially any kind of information. That's how well managed we are today. If you manage all the media, you manage all the minds. It's rather simple. But that's only one area is the so-called climate change debate. All to get this massive, massive new uh, Taxing to breathe, basically, or, or existence tax through, which there's, there's no doubt about it. They've been planning it and signing it deeper and deeper into it for years, and signing international treaties, etc., etc. And the general populace have nothing, to, no say whatsoever in it. In fact, anything's really important, we've got no say in any of it at all. And again, because you're brainwashing, you still think you're democratic and that you're free. Well, when you're getting taxed for existing, is that freedom? Really? Is that freedom? And people make billions and trillions of money off all these taxes, private companies, and trading exchanges for carbon and so on, and the banks where all the money is deposited in. And these are the very people who push through and, and, and promote all of this stuff, the ones who are going to profit from it all. And yet there's no major expose effort ever will be, can be attempted by the mainstream because they're all owned by the same boys who own the whole system. So don't ever expect it to, to happen. If you have a real beef and a complaint about something uh, and you're a professional, you'll be ostracized, like Dr. Wakefield was. 
Even now he's co-author for his book about autism and so on, the possible links, etc. To measles, mumps and rubella vaccine, given in the trip in the one dose. Uh, his friend has been, ex- his, his partner has been exonerated now by the the, Lance, the, the British medical establishment. And so Wakefield will probably, uh, hopefully, get uh, um, put back to his, his rightful status now as well, hopefully. But it's also a sad thing because people like Dr. Wakefield think, still think, that you can go to a corrupt system that blacklisted you in the first place, that takes that does take bribes from massive pharmaceutical companies and other big, huge companies too, and get justice done. How can you get justice from a, a totally corrupt system? You can't, obviously. And yet we're still training children to believe in authority, to believe in your betters, you know, the professionals up above you that seem to manage everything on your behalf, supposedly, and keep you safe and cozy so you can work and pay taxes and all the rest of it. What a system when all integrity and honesty has gone out the window. And it really has. It really, really has. There's not a day goes by where you have stories across the whole world and all governments of people and politicians or departments scamming millions of bucks off the general population or losing millions of bucks, etc. That's the real society we live in. And whereas before they used to have some kind of moral standard and accountability, there's none at all today. In fact, I heard someone talking the other night on a radio show about, well, it's human nature to steal. Grand theft. Human nature. And if that's true, then it's game over, isn't it? If it's just that, if it's just that, then it's game over. Because there's no oversight in anything anymore. And people don't even get slaps on their wrist when they're caught many times. Uh, they simply let the story fade away for a while and they carry on working as usual. Governments today spend more of your money on f- expert panels of psychologists and behaviorists and so on to find ways of keeping you in the dark from what really is happening with all your governments. That's where the money goes finding ways to keep you in absolute ignorance of what's really happening around you, uh, especially what's happening within governments. And the stories that leak out of government are, are just trivia stories, basically, not the real things that they're up to. That's what it came down to a long time ago. That, In fact, Francis Bacon talked about it, and others did too, about how the people should never really know what government's plans and functions really are. It's not a separation from church and state, this thing. This is a separation from governments to the people, totally. And that's really a fantastic feat. And in, in between, who so manage the little bits they give to you and the spins or the lies are public relations experts, professionally trained to spin news, omit stuff and so on to make it more palatable to the public. And we accept that. And they say you should accept it too from the top because you should be grateful they're telling you anything at all. Now, the, the Guardian in England decided a long time ago, and they probably came out of it, out with it, that they are all for this whole idea of global warming, then climate change, and, and all the rest of it, and carbon taxes. So here's an article from them, a recent article. It says, and this is from uh, Thursday, the 5th of February, 2015. In 2015, the year when the world will finally decide on a major new global agreement on climate change. Or is it the year? Pundits are beginning to put their cases as to whether the Paris summit in December will save the earth. You see, we're all in danger of dying off here. Or will end up as another Copenhagen, as in 2009, when massive anticipation resulted in inevitable post-conference disappointment. In a speech this week, Prince Charles, imagine digging him up again, insisted that 2015 will be a make-or-break year for the climate. This is the same geezer that said about four years ago uh, that if we didn't make a decision within the next three months, it was game over for the planet. You can just keep recycling the same spiels, eh? The same lies and all the rest of it. 
It's like, buy now or it won't be here tomorrow. It's the same idea. It says, but as Paris, where the real action will be, like it or loathe it, it's now about the money. Oh, no kidding. Nobody would have guessed that. It says, cost curves, China, India, bankers, entrepreneurs, and the concept of loss and damage. In other words, financial risk versus opportunity are now more important to what's happening to try and prevent irreversible climate change than any of the technical details of the negotiations. Then they throw some numbers at you. That's how they phrase it, too. Let me throw some numbers at you. Same trick as the bankers. Solar has now moved so far down the cost curve, meaning to put solar in, that if you live in Queensland, Australia, you can buy a 6-kilowatt rooftop solar PV system for $7,800. And you get an RET subsidy along with it. And then ignoring subsidies now, then such a large system would have cost $54,000 five years ago. This system will supply you with electricity at a fraction of the price you currently pay for your electricity retailer. Now that's fine if you live in sunny California or over in parts, a good part of Australia. But where I am, I think I had five days of sunshine last year. And... Uh, uh, that certainly doesn't bode well for 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 all these um, uh, these these systems, these solar systems. Even though they, they detect infrared, supposedly with all the aerial spraying that's going on, uh, that's stopping a lot of that coming through altogether. This is at a global level, the dramatically positive positions of solar and wind on the respective curve costs mean that. $310 billion invested in clean energy last year paid for almost twice the clean energy electrical uh, capacity compared with three years ago. Well, they can bamboozle you, uh, and you could, you, could have, um, a th- you could have a hundred different uh, surveys on the same thing, and they'll give you different answers opposing each other. So never get lost with facts, figures, or even percentages. It's a whole art in itself. They, they pay people to come up with the statistics. You know, the right statistics. China has understood for many years that clean energy development would bring them greater energy independence and as well as trade income. So it's sought to dominate solar manufacturing worldwide. Well, it's sought to dominate it because all the, all the factories are moved to China. All the investment they're getting, too, pretty well, is coming from the West, the factories that should be in your countries. And that's the reason that it's not because they've sought to dominate it. So as a result, four of the five largest solar panel manufacturers globally are Chinese companies, and China is investing $284 billion U.S. in renewables over the next five years. To, 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 uh, over the next five years. And it says, uh, in turn, Germany has gone from selling solar panels to selling solar manufacturing equipment to China. Yeah, every cell in North China, because no one can compete with the slave labor over there. India has recently announced their plans for a $100 billion expansion of solar power by 2022. And they'll get subsidies for it, by the way. If you're an emerging nation, as they call you, you see the West will pay for almost everything. And these countries don't have to pay uh, into the GATT, uh, the, the GATT Treaty, as, as emerging nations. And they can also negotiate any carbon taxes and even postpone them for 15 to 30 years. But you can't in the West. You're going to get sucked right away. And this article goes on and on and on with this usual stuff. But the whole article really is about, well, it might seem unethical, it says, but someone has to get rich fighting climate change. Yeah. It's like the old mantra, uh, who's going to get rich from fighting poverty? Lots of big institutions have got awfully rich fighting so-called poverty and various other things and cancer diseases and all the rest of it. Uh, and, and they have CEOs on board uh, in charge of them because the salaries are so lucrative. That's the nature of the beast, isn't it? And then you get, again, Oregon. It says Oregon teams up with Verizon to tax vehicles for 1.5 cents per mile. That's to start. Once you got it in the books, of course, and you get used to it, it'll go up and up and up and up. And it says here that uh, 
the nation's first uh, paramel charging system will launch or in Oregon July 1st, 2015. The implementation teams for Oregon uh, Road Usage, Usage Charge Program, enacted by the Oregon Legislature last July, has qualified three companies to help build and support Oregon's mileage charge collection system, which is SanF, Verizon, and Azuga. The companies will now pass through ODOT's certification process in order to provide services to the program's volunteer motorists beginning July 1st, 2015. This is how they start everything off with volunteers. You know, that's how they started off mandatory insurance for your vehicles and even your license, your driving license. And it goes on to say here, a charge based on measured road use preserves fairness. Oh, see, they're going to put fairness. See, it's not a matter of should they do it or not. It's going to be fair. And you say, oh, I guess if they're all paying the same as me, it's not so bad. It's all psychology, isn't it? It preserves fairness and accountability. That always give us that nonsense. And supporting the state system of roads and highways. How will the system work? Well, for goodness sake, if it's in the potholes everywhere, where did the money go for all that lot go? Never mind this new one. Anyway, first volunteers will choose options for participating in the program, including who will manage their mileage reporting and payment credit. ODOT has contracted uh, with, uh, as I say, these three companies to manage their accounts to calculate charges plus any credits due and submit charges to the Oregon Treasury. ODOT will audit account managers and verify that all charges owed are paid. The road's usage charge system will automatically collect mileage data from vehicles, a mileage reporting device selected by the motorist, ha ha ha, will interface with the vehicle and be paired with software to send mileage totals to the chosen account manager. The onboard mileage reporting device may be either basic, which means does not use location determination technology, of course it will, or advanced, which is uses location determination technology. This is we learned in previous test uh, pilots the importance of using open technology that will let grow with the market and work seamlessly across account managers, blah, 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 blah. And it says, what is the road usage charge program? It says the, the Oregon Senate Bill 810, put through in 2013, was the first legislation in the U.S. to establish a road use charge system for state transportation funding. It authorized ODOT to set up a mileage collection system for volunteer motors beginning July 1st, 2015. It says, I may, I may assess the charge um, for up to 5,000 cars on light-duty commercial vehicles and issue a fuels tax credit to those participants. So you get little, little rewards. You, know, you love your little, little cash-back things, you know, because you're all sussed out. And unfortunately, it works for people. This is direct, as directed by the legislation, the Road Usage Charge Program must give motorists choices for the technologies they use to report miles. So, they get, they, so here you have the fake thing that your, your choices... So it's your choices. These these are perfect marketing tools. And all governments are in on the act as well, because they hire all these big uh, companies to market the idea across the right terminology and so on. Well, you get to choose which spy is going to be in the car. Drivers will have the opportunity to obtain services through private entities with market-driven options that are efficient and cost-effective. And why is Oregon implementing road usage char- uh, charge program? Funding for transportation system maintenance, improvements, and construction has been declining in Oregon and around the country since the 1990s. The countries have been, the potholes and the cracks in the roads have been on across the whole nation and across the world, actually, since about the 70s. And you, the money for, for road maintenance goes up and up and up. You pay more and more taxes. Some of it's supposed to go to all of that and your state taxes and your uh, various taxes that you pay, and your road taxes already. So where's the money really go? So never believe they're going to use this money for anything that they say they will. They will not. Anyway, it says this is uh, due in part to more fuel-efficient vehicles purchasing less fuel, thus paying less in fuel taxes, which go towards maintaining and building roads and highways. Good news for the environment for reducing dependence on fossil fuels, 
but it reduces funds available to maintain Oregon roads. And it gives you more information and so on and so on. It's just uh, disgusting. And we're managed, you see, by all the behaviorists, as I've mentioned before, and the psychologists. There's nothing put out to the public by the public relations departments of anything or any government or any government department that hasn't spent millions, maybe even billions already on massive think tanks on how to get, you know, the sheep to go along with it. And you can always see the process where you get choices and the spies, etc., etc. Oh, let's start with some volunteers, you know, the goody two-shoes. Oh, let's give some cash back at times as well, etc., etc. Uh, but there you go. And then this article here with uh, the RT UK, it says, um, it's, it's an interesting little article. To those who have more is given, Britain's social mobility myth, is it broken, it says. And attempts to improve social mobility in the UK have, have been so ineffective that super-rich families of today will retain their wealth for the next 300 years, new research reveals. Well, I would just look at the old stuff and say, well, it's happened so far, it'll keep happening over the, over the centuries. I've studied examining the relationship between rare surnames and well-founded iron law of inheritance, which has defied all government attempts to improve social mobility in England and Wales since 1850. Professor Gregory Clark and Dr. Neil Cummins examined the records of 18,869 people, dividing them into three classes, the rich, the prosperous, and the poor. The two economists found the descendants of a wealthy family in 1858 were still much richer than the average person in 2012. I wonder why. They're all so likely to, to, more likely to live longer, attend Oxford, Cambridge, reside in more affluent areas, and pursue lucrative careers in law or medicine. Their findings come as the Organisation for Economics, Cooperation and Development says Britain has some of the lowest levels of social mobility in the world. In other words, try and get up the ladder. And it says, um, they calculate it will take 300 years for descendants of rich families to end up with average wealth. And it says here, uh, to, to those who have more is given. This is by 2,300, the descendants of the current inhabitants of Kensington and Chelsea will be average in their social status economists say. I wonder what that is. As part of the research, the two economists trawl through the records of census, births, marriages, probates, baptisms, apprentice contracts, ship passenger lips, and newspaper announcements. And the research discovered a significant correlation between the wealth of families five generations apart. One example is Sir Joseph Basil Getz, or Getty, the man responsible for building London's sewer system in the 19th century. Sir Joseph's great-great-grandson is Sir Peter Gesselgesi, uh, chairman of Arts Council England, a successful TV producer whose company created the Big Brother's reality show. And it says, um, there's no more popular uh, political program than, than that which calls for enhanced social mobility. So I should talk about doing one on the, on the, on the television, I guess. So, it's a rigged system, folks. It's a rigged system. And Britain has always had an incredible class structural system. And, uh, and wealth accumulates because when you get to a certain level, you just simply don't pay any tax at all. You don't pay any. I can remember many years ago, I think it was a, a big, I suppose, a tax hike and increase in Britain. And uh, even the Queen, apparently, was because she was then getting good to get a salary as well as everything else that gets given to her. Uh, and every member of the royal family would get a salary from the taxpayer. Um, they said that uh, even she'd have to pay taxes. But it was one of the Man Alive type programs they had in Britain, investigative journalism. And they went to see who her accountants were. And this thing was like another big castle somewhere else in the country. Yeah, they couldn't get into it at all. No one could get into the entrance gates with all security there and so on. And all the richest folk in Britain pretty well went through this accountancy firm and they worked out so that you didn't pay any taxes at all. 
everything they claimed they actually made that year would be written off in tax expenses, etc., etc., etc. And all the big loopholes are given to those above a certain income as well, big loopholes. But you can't get those loopholes if you're poor, you see, or average. So, surprise, surprise, if you've got money, your descendants will generally be a lot richer, especially, of course, when you're in a system where it's tradition to marry your own uh, particular social status group, your peer group, also wealthy, with the proper names and the proper histories, and you have the proper offspring that go to the traditional schools of your parents, grandparents, and great-great-grandparents, and so on. That's really just how it is. It's quite simple altogether. And getting back to the banks now, too. I mean, see, the whole world revolves around this money con, isn't it? This money system. And I've said so many times, the whole idea of money um, as a, as a means of exchange, but of course it's not. It's a means of for those who, who manage it in the middle and create it with nothing, uh, get stinking rich. That's what it's about. And everything else goes up in the, in the process. The real goods go up and up in price because it's debt money they put into circulation. But that doesn't matter. I'm sure you can all do a thousand searches on, on the net and find all about that and go on forever. It's a whole life study. But the cons are just a life study on everything here. But it says, four major Wall Street trade groups say international regulators have gone too far in a new proposal designed to ensure the world's biggest banks can fail without forcing taxpayers to bail to, to pay for the bailout. At issue is a proposal unveiled in November by the Financial Stability Board, a group of global regulators. Now, did you ever get any vote in, in the fact that you should have global regulators? Or even did you even know who they are? Who are the members? Do you know anything about them? Of course you don't. Did they mention this when your, your local representatives go for election or your national ones do? No. Did they mention all the different treaties they sign about, about carbon tax? No. Nope. But it says here, the group of global regulators that would require the world's 30 largest banks to beef up their loss-absorbing capacity by issuing equity or long-term debt worth 16% to 20% of the risk-weighted assets. And uh, it'll go on and on and on, of course, but, but, but the thing is, these are the new rules that were signed into law, etc. And it's like the bail-ins now. If you have deposits in the bank, they can grab all your savings uh, to save the bank from crashing. To steal the deposit was money, and it's now legal for them to do it because they've signed international and national agreements to do so. And it all started, by the way, came into effect in this year, uh, 2015. It's all started. So think about that. These laws are not just proposals. They're in the actual, for the actual bail-ins, that's taking your deposits. That was passed last year. And there's another article, too, uh, from Bloomberg. It talks about the America's dollar, the world's problem. And then it says, when officials from the group of 20 nations, did any of you get to vote to even have this group of 20 nations? Of course you didn't. All of these groups of things came out of the United Nations. This it was set up and owned. It's owned by the Royal Institute for International Affairs, Council on Foreign Relations Group. They, they, they set up the League of Nations, this private group, and they, out of that they morphed into the United Nations of World War II. And out of that, they've got all these different uh, bank for international settlements that's privately owned again. They've got the bank, the BIS, they've got the IMF, International Monetary Fund. They've got all these different things worldwide that we're, we're all basically um, hanging on to because they, they, they rule our lives economically. And we, we did not a citizen in the world, an ordinary citizen, got to vote on any of it. Never mind even get told about it when it got set up. It's just done. Everyone's done privately by those with the cash, not the old families again. This is with nations from Canada to Australia to China to Denmark springing surprise rate cuts on investors in recent weeks. Everyone has been in a race to the bottom, devaluing their currencies to boost exports and growth. Everyone, that is, except the U.S., it says. 
In the past year, the dollar has surged against the currencies of the U.S.'s trading partners. It's up more than 16% against the Federal Reserve's trade-weighted index of 26 other currencies, ranging from the euro, which accounts for 16% of the basket, to Switzerland, which is 1.73%, to Colombia, 0.66%. And it goes on to the dollar trade and how it's weighted. Not surprisingly, U.S. exporters are squealing. Procter & Gamble, the world's biggest consumer pr- uh, products maker, last week blamed a 31% drop in second quarter profits in what is called the unprecedented ex- uh, pressure in the foreign exchange market. Virtually every currency in the world devalued versus the US dollar, complained Chief Executive Officer A.G. Laffley. And what they do, of course, is a country devalues your currency to make it supposedly more cheaper for 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 people who want to buy things from your country, one country to the next, to make it more more uh, appealing to them. It seems to be cheaper for, for what they want to buy out of your country, raw resources, or whatever it happens to be. And that's why Canada's done it here to make it, uh, well, yeah, you can get the same raw resources for the same price, or for, for actually for less, uh, because we're reducing the currency value inside Canada internally. That's how it's worked. So, it's all out of our hands, isn't it? This whole, you know, they actually try and call it a science of economics. When adding up things and subtracting them to get some kind of balance becomes a science, someone's pulling an incredible coin on you. That's what it is. Anything to do with money is a racket, it's a complete racket. And if any, if it was any science at all, all the so-called scientists, if they were even, they were, again, good, good robots that didn't have personal biases, if they could decide or, or warn you in advance, why can't, no, how come none of them were warning the public? All these fantastic, you know, all the, a dozen letters behind their names. All of them. They hadn't a clue the last crash was coming. Why are they still called experts? It's like a doctor that gives you something that almost kills you. You should not call him a quack. Well, how come these guys are still called experts in, in economics? They never get anything right, supposedly. Except for the big boys that they, they serve. So anyway, um, this goes on about all, all this stuff and economics, uh, investment companies and advisory companies and all the rest of it too. As, as you go through this uh, this farce of uh, trying to race to the bottom, as they say, and that's from Bloomberg, etc. And then Basel, Switzerland, where the Bank for International Settlements is placed, this private group that nobody voted for, which is placed there by the members of the Royal Institute for International Affairs, Council on Foreign Relations, a long time ago. It says, in an effort to streamline banks' regulatory data through increased transparency and make them more comparable and consistent across the board, the Basel Committee on Banking Supervision has published standards, uh, re- revised standards on disclosures. And it says, the standards building on the committee's June 2014 consultation document made the disclosure requirements more detailed. It also made changes for uh, securitization exposures, credit risk exposures, and credit risk mitigation techniques. And it goes on about the different pillars. They always have pillars, pillar one, two, and three. Uh, they're like pillars. You see these big uh, groups that are building things across the world, including us in society. But uh, the whole Basel framework was based on three pillars of how they're going to do it, on regulating capital, uh, for, for risk, credit, operational, and market, etc., etc. And then how the banks assess the adequacy of their capital. But the fact is, they've never, you, you can't get honesty in money. It's a greedy, greedy business. And as I say, these experts obviously know what's going to, going to happen down the road. And they do know there's going to be another crash. And I think it's personally it's part of the big agenda for the world to bring in the whole new system of expert managing from birth to death for every individual and population reduction, mandatory sterilization or whatever, etc., etc., for, for lots of people. I really do. The only way we can get something through in a hurry 
And, and by a hurry, I mean, they've only got 100 years altogether, less than that now. Because the 21st century is what they call the century of change. This is when they've got their whole agenda through. That's not a long time to get all of this through, really. But they still have to create crisis and crisis to try and legitimize why. Well, you know, would you be a good, a good citizen and get sterilized to save the world? It's just too many people. Too many of you, you see. In a future world of robotics and so we don't really need you all. And you're eating up resources and you're breathing air and putting out carbon dioxide as you breathe. It's always been the agenda. But the money is also a big, big factor of it. Money is a big, big uh, cudgel, in fact, to make people comply. Along with the law on anything. But you need big crisis to make it all happen. And to even make it sound semi-plausible, the reasons they're going to give you for putting all the different things through. So you need massive crashes, massive crashes, until the public are pleading for what they see as their leaders to save them all. That's, that's how it's going to be done. So I'll, 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 that's, I won't go on with this article here because most of them are awfully, awfully dry. And there's one other article from Reuters, and it says the world's 30 biggest banks will have to issue more than $500 billion in bonds to comply with proposed global rules aimed at shielding taxpayers from the risk of future banking failures. Credit rating agency Starren Poor's said it Tuesday. And, and by God, it's been exposed even this company is supposed to, supposed to rate the credit and rate the agencies that give the credit and so on. How it's been caught, uh, it actually serves the very companies that supposedly rating. As his leaders of the group of 20 economies have proposed that 30 so-called globally systemic banks, and they mentioned some of them, such as Goldman Sachs, HSBC, and Society General, should hold a buffer of bonds equivalent to between 16 to 20% of their risk-weighted assets, such as loans, perhaps by 2019. That's if we get there without the crash, you say. And they've gone to see how it was agreed in principle at the G20 summit last November with a February 2nd deadline for consultation on the detail. Banks have cautioned the buffer could make it harder for them to lend to the economy. And the G20 has not so far put a figure on the likely scale of the implied debt issuance. What a system we all live on debt, eh? And your governments all live in debt. They've never got enough. Never got enough. They'll they'll, They'll take everything from you if you go bankrupt personally, and the banks will. But governments are boring all the time. But they put all their citizens down as, as, as the guarantors of payment for all this borrowing. And, then, and they can never balance a budget. How can they when it's, when it's compound interest and everything they borrow? You can't pay it off. It's not meant to be paid off. That's a con. That's a con of real power. You need big armies for it's money's the, money's money's the big big uh, overlord here. And then it says Canadian pension funds scoop up two point seven five billion dollars in U.S. commercial property in the first half of January. So even though they devalued the Canadian dollar, uh, they're, they're buying land in for the pension funds property. In, in the U.S., it says a falling loony has done little to reduce the appetite of Canadian commercial investors. For U.S. property, early returns show $2.75 billion was already scooped up south of the border in the first two weeks of January, according to the survey provided to the Financial Post. So it just shows you that, that where everything's unstable, they're still going to invest in the states. In the belief system that really if the states goes down as well as other, other countries, it really is game over. So they put it on what they see as, as the safest bet not a guaranteed bet that the U.S. just won't plummet altogether. But it doesn't mean they're right, of course. This is what they do. You, We live in a system where it's normal, apparently, to put all, your, all the money that's been saved up, supposedly on your behalf and pension funds and all that, to, for the big in, investors who are supposed to look after you, they, to put in a big global casino, big roulette wheel. And recall this again, part of the science of economics that's not, it's logical. Is gambling ever logical, folks? Is it? Is it really? But that's, that's one article there. And then G20 sets the stage for a global bailing. That's taking up cash. 
And um, I might put that article up as well. But the, but the fact is, there's nothing you can do about it. You're out of the picture, aren't you? You're completely out of this picture. No one consults you. Ever, really, on anything big. No one consults you whatsoever. And the problem is, too, that the public are so trained today and indoctrinated that they, they, they accept these groups will make all the decisions for them. Perpetual childhood is what they call socialism. And the banks love socialism. They love it because they make their money off interest and lending. And socialism's always borrowing. That's why all the, the, the top bankers on the planet always funded socialism. That's why the Royal Institute for International Affairs owns different sides of every party, including the Fabian Society. Because you've got to lead all groups along the garden path, or down the garden path, as they say. We speak for you and you join them. You're the working man, and so you do it and they join. And yet Bertrand Russell told you all about it and all big players told you about where they were all going to take you and eugenics and all the rest of it. Members of the of the Fabian Society, heavily funded by Lord Esther. And uh, you find the top, the founders actually of the Fabian Society, the guys that were the front founders, that is, picked by the Royal Institute for International Affairs, I suppose a far, far right capitalistic group. But members of it said that you'll have to come to us when we're in charge to say why we should keep you alive. Because you have to serve society, the system. Serve it. Read the non-fiction pieces by George Bernard Shaw. And even up on YouTube, they have some clips of his early speeches where Shaw talks about that. The need to reduce populations that get all rid of their own kinds of people. And, and basically, you know, sterilize and so on and, and get rid of the unfit and those that society itself didn't need the workforce in certain cases too. That's what it meant. You know, when societies are in decline, they always go through stages, building up to their zenith and then falling down again. And we're really on the way down. We have all the signs of uh, falling societies, we have the, the, the state corruption, corruption down through society itself, where the morals that kept it strong on the ascendancy have all been destroyed. And uh, there are forces at work to destroy your cultures, of course, and your moralities, very much so, very, again, scientific in their, their mythology and how they're, they're put into, into work, uh, to work through society. It's been pretty well done. And you find so many of the similarities of ancient Greece as it fell, Rome and other countries too, other nations, even long before that, because as Plato talked about his his uncle or great-uncle or whatever, uh, Solon, who supposedly uh, was told by the Egyptian priests that many, many, many civilizations had come and gone long before Greece came along, kind of lost in the, in the, in the sand of time. But they all basically go down the same way, with the same signs and symptoms of a disease, you might say. And we're pretty well there, pretty well there. The things we accept today because we are contaminated, and that's the term, by the way, that uh, the, top, um, the, the top psychologists and behaviorists who've worked for special uh, groups who are at war with society, for dominance over society, you must always destroy the society. And you bring in your scheme of things, you see. And therefore, they've, they've always, they use the term contamination. Uh, many of the Soviet defectors used that term too for their cultural wars on the West. It was to do with social contamination. And what, what they meant by that is you, you knock down pillars that hold up the, the roof, the massive roof of society, one at a time, which weakens the rest of them one at a time. And you keep knocking them down until the whole lot falls down. That's what you stand on, basically. You stand on good foundations. You have the pillars to hold up your moralities and your, the structure where everyone knows the simple rules, generally, of your culture. And you don't break them. 
And then you start to bring in the theorists and the philosophers to to then say, oh, let's re-examine why we do this. And let's look at this thing in a different way, a different perception on it. And that's how they change your morality, moral relativity, you see, until anything goes. And the main weapons, of course, apart from uh, schooling, indoctrination, and various sex eds through uh, the guise of sex education and so on, coupled with uh, the main method, which was movies, movies and television, until anything goes on TV today too, step by step by step, pushing the envelope until you become contaminated. And many people are contaminated without even knowing it. That's how subtle it is and how gradual it can be. But every generation actually is always worse than the last and the last and the last because what they're given as entertainment is indoctrination. And the titillations are called the senses, which are meant to addict you to various things perhaps that you shouldn't be addicted to at all. And things that were a no-no and actually had uh, laws about it are out the window as society in itself becomes addicted to the corruption itself and they enjoy it uh, under the guise of entertainment. The Frankfurt School, I've talked about many, many times, he talked about this copiously, their war on the Western societies to make all of this happen. And it's been awfully successful, hasn't stopped, still going on. And now you get articles today to do with, uh, all over the world, in fact, the things you used to see in, in third world countries are now are all across the Western countries, have been for a long time now. Here's one article that came out of England, and it's called Child Sexual Abuse Ring in Halifax, 25 Men Charged. And it says uh, they were charged with sex offences, child sex offences, against two girls in Calderdale, a bit more than two, of course, following a major police operation. What police say is the largest child sexual exploitation investigation in the country. Uh, bigger than the high-profile cases in Rochdale and uh, Rotherham, the men faced a combined total of 59 charges, including rape, sexual activity with a child under 16, and trafficking for the purposes of sexual exploitation, where they were getting children addicted to drugs and uh, renting them out, really. The men, who are mainly from Halifax, are accused of committing offences between 2006 and 2011. As, as, the reason it's taken so long is because of the circumstances of who's been charged. So the year-long investigation eventually saw them arrested in May 2013, and they were all formally charged at Halifax Police Station on Wednesday. They have all been released on bail and are due to appear at Calderdale Magistrates Court on Thursday. So it's since around, around two girls who are believed to have been in Calderdale, a council's care. It's amazing how many of them are in, for, in care of, of children's homes and so on. Uh, we've had so many scandals over the years as things get worse and worse. And again, uh, say orphanages have been fantastic places for, for, for the pervs, the high profile, but the big ones, guys up who, who are up in high position, judges and things like that, to uh, obtain the, their playthings, you know. Uh, very, very, that's where you actually get really organized crime at work. But um, it's just, although the majority of them relate to one girl, it's thought the girls were as young as 13 when they were allegedly abused. The majority of the men charged are from the Asian community, and there are fears that the investigation could impact on race relations in Halifax. That, that's why they've taken so long uh, to actually charge them. The whole world's on, on tender hooks right now, isn't it? And depending on who you are will depend on how you're treated initially or immediately even, and things like that. It says, um, however, temporary chief superintendent Owen West, district commander for Calderdale, said there are no immediate plans to heighten patrols around the town. Now, this is only one article here, and it gives you a list of all the names of the guys involved but there are many documentaries out over the last quite a few years, in fact, about the same things happening. And what you've got really are criminal elements coming in from other countries 
And this was all understood before they even opened the floodgates into Britain long ago, that a lot of them would come in with uh, customs and things and things they didn't see as wrong and, and do the same thing in Britain uh, and elsewhere across Europe, which they have been doing. And uh, they don't know how, supposedly, to, to, to cope with this kind of thing, to with race relations, etc., etc. But says that our issue going forward is around community engagement and how we respond to any issues that come on the back of these charges. And so here is community engagement. They're talking about the different communities in front that are imported, you might say, and so on. And it says, if we get increased tension or anger, we have got plans to meet that. In other words, they don't want race riots going on. But we're not going to go out in traditional high-visibility yellow jackets because there's no need for uh, that at this stage. Unless you, did, you knew the circumstances, you wouldn't know what they were talking about. They'd be the camouflage all. They're so scared to come out and say things. Police officers and police partners were informed about the development of the investigation Wednesday. And um, it says that the men have all been charged. It names them all, as they say here, and so on. And there's a whole, an awful lot of them here, you know. Uh, but again, there's related links too. And you find you find the things going on all over Britain, all all different areas now, because society's going down the hill, way down the hill. And even this article won't have the kind of impact it would have had years ago, because folk watch this kind of stuff and they look like titillation all the time in movies as they push the envelopes, or what they call it intergenerational sex, or. They've even had cases in the courts in some countries where the judge will let the perpetrator off with it. He'll say, well, the child consented. Well, how, how can a 10 or 11-year-old child consent to anything? You know the consequences down or anything else? For money, you know. So you have all of this coming into it as they obfuscate uh, basic morality once more, that kind of thing. But we're contaminated now. Society is pretty well gone. And then an article two from the Daily Mail, and it says um, Leon Britton, his name is, died at the age of 75 following a lengthy battle with cancer and so on. It says, but an explosive claims that Leon Britton conspired to cover up an establishment child sex ring are wholly unjustified, a senior peer said yesterday. This is in, in, in the House of Lords, I guess. And... Immediately, the, the, the peer group, as they call them, well, they close ranks. That's the traditional saying. They close ranks to, to stand behind each other like crazy because they can't allow anyone to be found guilty of anything because it, it could open up the, the chink in the armor. You might say that the portcullis gate was, was, the, 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 was down, the drawbridge was down, and uh, then they can go and investigate all of them. They're all scared because they're all kind of rather weird, you know. But it says here, only days after he died from cancer, the Tory former Home Secretary was also the subject of wild allegations of multiple child rape. Uh, remember, this is a major newspaper, of course. But it says the second toxic claim was made in a newspaper yesterday by Labour MP Tom Watson, who even compared the Tory a Conservative grandee to Jimmy Savile as he accused him of abusing three boys. And it says, uh, Lord Britton, who died last Wednesday, he's 75, of cancer, so he remains under investigation by Scotland Yard, and so on and so on. Anyway, folk have come forward uh, to say that, yeah, he was uh, up there, and he, he, um, he, he did abuse his children, and so on and so on. So they've, they've got the usual thing. The usual thing that happens when it's someone with uh, some kind of status, they close ranks, and... Um, you have all his friends coming to his aid right away, of course. But anyway, it says here that Lord Carlyle, a former counter-terrorism watchdog, highlighted how Mr. Dickens repeatedly praised uh, Lord Britain over his response to his dossier. And I guess these dossiers to do were, were other uh, investigations and other people. So they cover for each other, you see. As I say, the folk have come forward. There are mountain allegations that he himself was embroiled in a sick world of child abuse. Mr. Watson said one alleged victim told Lord told him Lord Britain raped him and described him as close to the devil or evil as a human being could get. And it says, uh, right in the Sunday Mirror, he called on the police to investigate the claims and described those victims and witnesses he's spoken to as sincere. This is the reporter talking. And he attacked those who have stood by Lord Britain and said they do not believe the victim's stories. Uh, 
Watson said their comments were a cold dismissal of those who believe it's a travesty that Britain will never be asked the truth to answer questions about its conduct under the, under oath at a public inquiry. It is possible to spend a lot of time with a person yet know nothing of their true nature. I believe you me, in the in-clubs up there, they know everything about each other. Speaking about the reaction to his death, he added, All the glowing uh, tributes remind me of the media coverage immediately after Jimmy Savile's death. Savile was other big, one of the other big perps. Savile was protected by a media culture that worshipped at the altar of celebrity. Was Britain protected by a misplaced sense of deference to the powerful? One key witness, not only is Nick, Nick is the nickname, that's what we call him, Nick, claims Lord Britain raped and abused him more than a dozen times at an apartment at Dolphin Square near Westminster in the 1980s. Mr. Watson claims two others have made similar allegations of being raped by him. In his strident statement, Mr. Watson also said leading Britain stands accused of multiple child rape. Many others know of the allegations and chose to remain silent. And this guy says, I will not. Anyway, it says that Britain was also on, Lord Britain was also under scrutiny in a separate investigation known as Operation Middleton into historic sex abuse. Uh, this work is far from complete, but senior officials are understood to be considering how best to reveal their findings if prosecutions cannot be brought. And it says that they had different establishments and, and sex places under camera, and one of the people who were caught on the tape going in is this Lord Leon Bruton. He went in about three times, he caught on camera. So, uh, these are all symptoms of a sick society. And they're sick from the top, and that was unfortunate. You know, something that's always been kind of sick at the top, but now it's getting all the way down to the bottom through entertainment and so on. It really is. I mean, here's an article here, for instance, for entertainment, and it says here that. Uh, Social depravity reaches new low. Reality show called The Sex Factor features wannabe porn stars. And that's from uh, 21st Century Wire. Uh, It says, The creeping moral bankruptcy of modern culture and entertainment is sure to be said to reach its lowest point ever with this latest reality TV stunt. It will feature eight men and eight women competing for $1 million dollars and a three-year porn pornography contract. One of the contestants will be Paige Jennings, who made headlines after quitting Wall Street to work in the adult industry, as they call the pornography industry, I guess, and stripping and all the rest of it. And it says, um, men and women competing to be porn stars, a new reality show the sex factor revealed after auditioning uh, by having sex on camera, including uh, the Wall Street, etc. And it says the sex fighter puts eight men, eight women who have no prior experience in a Las Vegas home together as they compete for a stardom and one million dollar prize. And it keeps mentioning uh, Paige Jennings from the Wall Street and so on. It goes by the name of Ver- Veronica Vane and recently made waves when she announced she was leaving the financial world to pursue her dreams of porn. Uh, says Duke University porn star Bell Knox has had previously been named as the host, but has now been replaced by Asa Akira, whoever that is. The show is the creation of Buddy Rubin, former Silicon Valley software development with no television or porn experience. I'm sure it's got a lot of his pals who certainly do, though. Well, how can you? And you know something? The folk will be glued to this thing because... It's it's like entering the world of sadomasochism and all kinds of weird stuff to get the kind of high that's supposed to be experienced during sexual intercourse. Normal, it's like they have to go a step further and further to make it happen. It's like drugs. And once you've had that high and they want something else, what's next and what's next and what's next and what's next? And believe you me, when you're dealing with a very primitive part of the brain, it's easy, easy for the, for the media perpetrators, the guys behind the cameras and so on, the guys behind the productions and who know exactly their agenda. It's not just making money, believe you me. But it's true, though, they do make an awful lot of money as they destroy you in many respects, in different areas. But 
it's just amazing to, to see that people will, will, will get hooked on this so quick because they've been they've been hypersexualized by what they see visually. When I was young, you didn't have a nation of voyeurs watching other folk having sex, but they've made it uh, happen today to most folk across the planet. It seems till it's the norm, and that's why with articles about children getting raped and all the rest of it. There's hardly a murmur amongst the people anymore. They're not shocked by anything at all. In fact, they come away with, with a lot of these articles from these articles without even conclusions or opinions on it, because to do so they'd have to make a judgment on themselves and how their mental attitude is changing too, or has been changed. Rather sad, isn't it? Eh? And then you find commonplace articles now. This is uh, Zurich, this is a jump in the Swiss franc against the euro, which threatens to push the country's economy into recession, as boosting trade in brothels across the border in Germany. And I read an article, I think last year, it was very similar on this, where this, this is standard fare for media, like it's just another commodity. And it says, those who earn wages in francs have been streaming into neighbouring countries in search of bargains since the Swiss Central Bank ditched a currency cap last, last month, making goods and services pr- uh, priced in euros almost 20% cheaper overnight. Then they go into the, the, the different countries that are cashing in on this as the prostitution uh, trade is booming. Absolutely booming. And believe you me too... <laughs> You find in certain places where where the fiction, the promotional fiction, like like winning at casinos, like Las Vegas and so on, Las Vegas, which advertises this, whatever you you you've got or you want, we've got it. They mean that, folks. Whatever you want, they'll, they've got it. They've got it. Think about that. That's age groups and everything. This is now normal. A society's been pretty well demolished. It's normal. And when you demolish to this extent, then you accept all kinds of corruption as well. That's normal. And that uh, there's no outrage either when you get ripped off or your banks all crash and steal your savings. Well, well, you know. A lot of folk, you've mentioned this kind of thing too, about, for instance, the, the corruption, uh, financial corruption that goes on within governments and banks and so on, they'll say, well, you know, if I was in that place, I'd do it too, I suppose. You know. uh, this is the attitude today. What happened? We're all contaminated. That's the new norm, you see. It's been awfully successful. Yuri Bezmenov went through it a long time ago. And he was in the KGB. And his department speciality was was destroying the cultures of the countries in the West. I can't remember if it was Khrushchev in the Soviet Union that said that the US and the West would fall without firing a shot. Unfortunately, you'd, you'd have to say, they, well, they, might, they might fire shots because the way they're gearing up is to shoot their own people when everything goes to hell in a handbasket. So it's very, very sad, folks, but um, most people will never know there's been a war going on. A long war. And I don't mean just the KGB. They were certainly part of it, involved in it. But there's other forces, other things at work, other groups at work to completely destroy society to bring in the new. And the whole push for austerity measures, We'll get, we'll get brought in as you end up getting taxed for life for simply existing. It'll also decrease the population because I mean, it's so expensive for everybody in your household to pay the tax because the more you'll have, but the head, similar for the head tax, you know, one, two, three, four, five, okay, you can wonder this category. Well, same thing with carbon taxes. Now each person consumes uh, energy, they give off carbon. Everything you'll need more things to, to, to clothe and feed these people, etc. More lost to the world. And we've got guardians of the world, apparently, who, who manage all this for us, you see. And you're a cost to them. 
And that's what's planned. And it'll all be brought in under the guise of some massive world crisis and national crisis, step by step by step, until it's normal. The new regime, birth to death, will be normal. Sad but true. As I say, you know, don't give up the ghost here by dwelling on these things. It's the way it is. It's a much better thing to, to understand how things are and why things are the way they are, as opposed to, to always being in confusion or, or following um, the ultimate, um, ultimate conspiracy. It'll, it'll take you off on all kinds of tangents and get you nowhere. Secrecy by its very nature is conspiratorial. And governments are all working secrecy. What to tell the children, that's all of us. And what not to tell us, that's how it works. Well, they tell you that somehow you've got a say in things, which is an awful joke, isn't it? But that's how things are. It's better to understand things. It gives you a peace of mind to know why. It can give you a little chuckle inwardly too when you read a lot of these ridiculous reports and studies because you know what's behind it all and you know what to expect. It can get kind of boring because the, the big boys do publish where they want to take the world and all the societies. They do publish them all the time. H.G. Wells called it the open conspiracy. If you if you want to know what's going on, they do publish it. All the official groups at the top publish their their agendas quite openly. Their governments do when they go to the private meetings have have certain ones published to the public. Not all of them, mind you, but that's the way it is. So don't uh, give up the ghost, as I say. Or go and get drunk because you're so, so depressing. That's how it is. And if you're depressed, what you're going to do? You'll turn on the TV and watch the stuff that they're indoctrinating you with there. Take up a hobby or make your own. <laughs> That'll keep you sane. At least it'll be, uh, hopefully, uh, contamination free. From Hamish Marcel from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your gods go with you. Mm-hmm.